Hello and welcome to Policy Voices by Friends of Europe, an independent think tank with a difference. Each week from Brussels, we bring you powerful conversations with policy voices from around the world. Policy Voices talking policy choices. Welcome to this week's Policy Voices. I'm Katerina Villanova, podcast producer at Friends of Europe, and today is going to be all about taxation. Dermendra Kanani, chief spokesperson at Friends of Europe, spoke to Marilina Scopio, European Commission Director for Indirect Taxation and Tax Administration at DigiTaxur, right after the EU Tax Symposium. For the first time, the topic of behavioral taxation was addressed at the symposium, and there was general consensus that behavioral taxation deserves to be paid more attention, So stay with us to find out what is the European Commission's proposal to advance what is such a controversial topic. Welcome back, Elena. Good to be in conversation with you. It's been a year now since we last talked about all that has to do with tax. And as you know from our last conversation, and those who have been either watching or listening to our previous input, we spoke about the notion of behavioral taxation. It's something that we believe strongly in as a think tank. And I think it's something which I hope over time will get greater traction. But for our listeners, would you explain to us, what do you understand as being behavioral taxation? Yes, thank you very much for having me again. It is always a pleasure to, to work with uh, with Friends of Europe and with you personally, Jamendra. So I, I have to say I'm also personally very interested in behavioral taxation. It is a rather new concept in our panorama. Well, to be very simple, in general, all taxes can have a behavioral, behavioral effect because they are increasing the price of certain goods and then can dissuade consumers from um, using their combined. However, normally, the first uh, purpose of each tax is to raise revenue. There are no other um, objectives that are linked to it. And what happens if it happens is just by accident that there is a behavioral effect. Behavioral taxation, um, it has been now uh, recently analyzed as a taxation that really has also another purpose on top of the revenue one. In fact, we could say that the revenue effect is secondary because if a certain tax is supposed to change a behavior, the most successful tax is the one that leads to eliminate the behavior itself and therefore the revenue coming from the tax. So it is a bit counterintuitive. But a successful behavioral taxation is a taxation that no longer exists because the behavior has been changed so much that there is no need to put a fiscal disincentive of certain goods or behaviors that had to be discouraged. This being said, we have been looking at behavioral taxation at the level of the EU, but also at national level, regional level, and everywhere in the world because there are certain goods that are bringing with them what we call negative externality that explained in clear words mean they in fact cost a lot more to society than the price the consumer pay for them. And an example can be tobacco. Buying a pack of cigarettes is becoming very expensive, but still it does not reflect the possible cost for the um, social system in terms of future illnesses 
in terms of impact on the social security, in terms of uh, having to uh, deal with ill people because they use tobacco products. This is only one example. You can have it also for environmental products when you are buying uh, fuel and the tax on it does not always take into account the pollution that it creates. It is only based on quantity and not on emission. This is a concept that has been recently has been taken with importance. Until now, I have to say that it become it, it remains a bit marginal, and we have started to look at the possibility of a part of a new role in designing a new behavior of taxation. I can recall that until now we are having harmonized excise duties on alcohol products, tobacco products, and energy products. But at the time in which they were introduced, the behavioral effect was not taken into account. The reason for these taxes to exist was simply to try to have a sort of a harmonization in order to uh, avoid that citizens would have moved from one member state to another to equip themselves with those goods. So the reason was simply on one hand of the internal market and on the other hand of budgetary reasons. There was this revenue consideration. More and more, uh, this taxation is mentioned as a behavioral taxation because the European taxation is only establishing minima of taxation, so member states can tax a lot more. And member states in this space that they can use have been going very high in taxing this kind of products in order to have a behavioral effect. In particular, Nordic countries, for instance, are taxing them very, very much because they try to limit their consumption or to reduce their consumption. There are other kinds of health taxes that we are currently looking at and in particular, we are looking at what are called HFSS, which is high fat, sugar, and salt. Um, this uh, is connected to the need to try to fight against uh, um, obesity, for instance, or considering that uh, non-communicable diseases are now responsible for 80% of the disease burden. And uh, a diet, which is also high in fat, in high fat, sugar, or salt, can be it can have an impact on, on health. We are not the first one to think about it. Some member states have already done uh, some work. There are some few taxes that are having this as, a, as an objective and uh, also on sugared uh, beverages. But uh, still, these are really very small examples compared to what could be done. Most of what you say, that's really helpful. Most of what you describe is how at an individual level, things can be changed. And it's really helpful to describe that journey from tax being quite transactional, basically a revenue generator for public institutions to then provide services or do other range of things. And now in the past 20 years, 15 years, even 10 years, we could say, there's been an awareness that tax can be made to have a good effect on behavior. Now, it can have an impact on health, but what about in terms of issues around environment? And what about tax of institutions or let's say the, the, the private sector more broadly. And I know you can't say specifically about what tax the EU should place on the private sector, but is there a role of of behavioural taxation playing a, a, a kind of an incentivizing or rather changing behaviour and mindset in terms of how we 
relate to, let's say, something like VAT or the taxes on other goods and services provided by the private sector? Well, as I said already, all taxes can have a behavioral effect. In these taxes, I would not include VAT because VAT is imposed on everything. And normally the rate is the same for every good and every service. It is true that there are some reduced rates, but I have to say that our studies testify that, uh, unfortunately, this reduced rates is rarely passed on to consumers. So it's kept a bit in the profit margin of the producer. Therefore, it's more of an illusion. It is more of an announcement when some reduced rates are, are announced, because then in practice, you don't really see an impact on the final price. So the effect on behavior of VAT I would be, I would be in, not convinced in, in mentioning it. But again, every tax has a behavioral effect. The problem is that you have to see when the existence of a tax starts making a difference. And that depends from a number of situations. It depends, first of all, who you want to, to hit. You want to hit the, the behavior of consumers or you want to hit the behavior of producers or, as you say, you want to hit the behavior of the private sector in general. So you have to see what is the behavior that you intend to uh, change. Secondly, you, uh, it is important to establish at what level the taxation would be enough to exercise an impact on such a behavior uh, to make it uh, change or disappear. And the level of taxation is the key instrument to understand whether this can have an impact on the, on the behavior. Third, and then final aspect that I think you should take into account is the uh, availability of alternatives. Because in every behavior, whatever that is, if you can find an alternative, that has to be taken into account. Because on one hand, you can find more virtuous alternatives and that can then help you to substitute the behavior you want to eliminate with a better behavior. On the other hand, you may have unprecedented or un unintended consequences that could lead to even worse behaviors than the one you, you changed. Okay, let's turn to the tax symposium that took place this week. I mean, it's, uh, you know, builders are really big, big cheese. You all get together and talk about tax. Tell me, what's... Two things, if you can, in your answer. What was the purpose of it? And how did behavioral taxation play a part? Well, um, the symposium arrived at the second edition this year. And uh, it has uh, been intended since its first edition to try to have a, a long-term reflection to identify what could be the best tax mix in view of 2050. So what would be the best tax system that we could devise from now until um, 25 years to go. And then several aspects have been touched upon. Um, there, was, uh, there were sessions about VAT, sessions about personal income tax, um, direct taxation. It, it was very, very interesting. And for the first time, we had a panel also on behavioral taxation. That was very, very refreshing because for the first time, we had the pleasure to invite a psychologist in a tax uh, conference. Uh, a psychologist of economics, so, but still a psychologist, because what are we talking about here is the motives, the intentions, and the drivers of human beings, because even companies are made of humans that take decisions. So those have a, 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 a can be uh, influenced by all sorts of aspects, including taxation. 
And uh, it was interesting to see that there was a general agreement among the various speakers uh, to find out that clearly this area is uh, uh, underexploited, understudied, and that there could, could be additional scope for um, investing into changing the um, behaviors for the best, having additional revenues in this time of shrinking budgets, this is, this is vital, and also to have a, a, a union approach. So um, a European Union in order, uh, in intervention in order to start from, uh, from uh, the same level playing field going to Tuesday. I, I have to say that there were also some objections which were very, very interesting. Because when you think about uh, this kind of measures, the first thing that people reproach is the concept of a nanny state, of a state that knows best, of a union that knows best what's good for its own citizens. And uh, it is also true that uh, um, everyone is uh, free to do with, the, with their money what, uh, what they want. However, this is no longer, and that's why I refer to externalities. When there is a damage which is done to the collectivity, this is no longer an individual issue. Because if I wanted to smoke 20 packs of cigarettes a day, and that was it, and I would only be uglier, that would be my problem. And I could decide to spend my money on that and do it. But when that makes me ill, and then it's the state and the collectivity that has to deal with my illness. This is no longer an issue that in, interests me only. And this cannot be uh, ignored. And this works for any kind of behavior. As long as there is a new path for the collectivity, what we call the, exter the negative externality, this cannot be um, ignored and is no longer a, a, an individual uh, in affair. So it gave us a lot of food for thought. This is going to be included in our reflection. We have asked, requested a, a contractor to have a study on behavioral taxation, which is uh, uh, now being uh, conducted, is taking into account all the different examples, uh, probably giving us ideas. We still have to see its results. And, and we will also feed into uh, our reflection what came out of the tax symposium, but we don't intend to stop there. We intend to discuss this with the next commissioner that will come next year to propose it as a as a priority. And uh, and we have already started the, at the, an official level to have um, discussions with member states, at least the ones that already have some sort of behavioral taxation or behavioral considerations in their taxes, uh, to discuss with them what is their experience and what uh, they could uh, provide as an input. Excellent. The two issues that kind of keep ricocheting back in my mind about the behavioral taxation. One is, I mean, I'm, it's so obvious when people reject the concept because we don't want a nanny state, are usually neoliberals uh, and people who just fundamentally believe and worship at the altar of the market. So I would kind of, whilst that's great, the world has moved on. It's no longer relevant or necessary to be thinking in this terms because life in the past four years has changed everything. But in terms of using behavioural taxation as a more sophisticated approach to making a society better and making a society be able to be more um, focused on well-being, but also, if you like, um, redress the imbalances in life. 
And the one thing that I wanted to discuss with you is that do you see a point a point ever in the next in the next ten years where there will be uh, EU having the opportunity to share a bit of the the closely guarded sovereignty by member states on taxation because at the moment the EU has no tax competence apart from you know raising own resources etc from each member state do you how does that was there a conversation about that in the new mandate because you know you never thought at the beginning of the last mandate that the EU would become one of the biggest bankers to member states to the RFF and re-empower and everything else um do you see a do you see a movement or change at all well, um, I have to say that taxation is one of the most sensitive area, of course, and I'm saying nothing new. We all know that. The fact that it is subject to unanimity, uh, together with very few other policies in the European Union, is uh, uh, clearly uh, showing how sensitive that is. Until now, the European Union has been able to impose some taxes uh, not only to have uh, own resources, the own resources idea was more a possibility to make the tax uh, more uniform, but not to uh, intervene. For VAT, for instance, uh, the, the main reason was the internal market again, not to make uh, uh, direct taxation have an impact on the choices of, of, uh, of the producers that for what for the tax they had before had an interest in verticalizing themselves. And then with the own resources decision, it was decided to make the base uh, uh, uniform. The same goes for, for direct taxation. It's always the needs of the internal market it needs to be clearly justified and explained every time that there is an initiative in direct taxation. It's a long time that we have tried to put on the table the debate uh, over the need to overcome unanimity and to expand uh, the competence. Uh, we, you have, uh, as you have rightly said, the, the Europe uh, acting on the supply side, but not on the demand side. And that, and, and that, is, uh, and that is a mismatch. We have uh, tried in the past, uh, you may remember the uh, fierce opposition of certain countries who even had it in, uh, as a footnote to certain treaties, not never to discuss unanimity in taxation. We believe that maybe more than fighting unanimity, which would be a lost cause in my, my personal view, and it would in, uh, involve going for changing the treaties and so on and so forth, I would actually make an additional use of enhanced cooperation. Because where is it, it is possible? I know that we only have one example and that was not really successful, but it is not a, a testimony of the failure of the system. It's just that it was the wrong topic that had been chosen, at least for the time being. Okay, explain enhanced cooperation for our listeners. Well, enhanced cooperation means that those countries, that there should be, first of all, a proposal at unanimity. Then when it's possible, when it's possible to ascertain that unanimity cannot be reached, those member states that are still willing to go on with what has been proposed, provided they are more than a minimum number of uh, nine or ten, nine if I'm not mistaken, they can go on separately. Therefore, they can have uh, their own unanimous agreement on certain, um, certain measures that can apply to them. And of course, all the others can join at any time if they, if they wish. So uh, it's true, there is, uh, the, the, 
we only need one member state to make a whole negotiation collapse. But if these member states would accept that uh, the others go along their own way, it would be a tractor, in my view. It would put some traction to the tax mechanism of the of the EU. The legal base that we have is quite uh, wide because the impact on the internal market is extremely wide. You can justify a lot of, uh, of measures. As soon as you have a different rule in two member states, you can justify harmonization on the basis of the internal market. So that can be can be exploited uh, a lot uh, a lot more, both for indirect and for direct taxation. What is lacking now is the political will. Because uh, it, no taxation without representation is, um, is uh, something that has been repeated and repeated. And there should also be some political will from the Commission to pursue this uh, objective with, uh, with additional strength. So I think that maybe there were some occasions that have been lost to, to push, uh, to push uh, a bit for this. But uh, I'm hopeful that in the future we will get... Moving to that point, a lot of conversations had that if you look at... If you were to draw a, a, a kind of a picture of who in Europe uh, experiences the tax burden, you'd see it more at the individual rather than the corporate. And again, I'm, I know that you perhaps don't have the remit for that, but is there a conversation or was there a conversation about wealth taxes, tax avoidance, etc.? What conclusions did you reach? I can confirm that there was a conversation, but uh, I would uh, leave it to my colleagues dealing with the issue of direct taxation to dwell on their on their conclusions. Uh, Anti-fraud is important, both in direct and indirect taxation, but the, the aspect that you are evoking here is typical of uh, of direct uh, of direct taxation. So, no, indeed. So, in the in terms of the future of let's say your remit, like not you know not the other end, if you like, of the taxation uh, field, what do you see as the key areas of focus that you are likely to be working on in the next four years? For what concerns me, uh, I think, uh, and then I'm to keep speaking about indirect taxation. Uh, one is behavioral taxation, as we have mentioned, in, uh, in its wide uh, concept, so anything that can change the behavior. And uh, also uh, simplification, because uh, we think that um, everyone is uh, paying a lot of taxes when they pay them. And to facilitate what we call voluntary compliance, meaning that uh, the taxpayers are willing to pay what they're supposed to pay, a big difference uh, is uh, represented by the way in which they pay their taxes. And when that is made uh, uh, not impossible or extremely difficult, like in certain member states, it makes uh, a huge difference. We know that often some national rules are determined by traditions or the need to preserve uh, tax advisors, corporations, but we think that everyone should be able to pay their own taxes alone. And the minimum that the state can do is to try with a reasonable uh, precision to make it easy for people to pay, pay their taxes. So this is, for me, uh, one of the most important aspects. On the other hand, um, it is not a tax, but it is also very important we will also try to continue making an impact on environment through uh, developing uh, the carbon border adjustment mechanism 
but also pushing more and more for the energy tax directive to be adopted because now it's been stalling in the in the council for, for a while. Do you is there a hope that this might be you know unplugged at some point? Do you might mind the pun on the energy directive? I'm afraid we would really need a huge catastrophe to because at the moment I think still. It does not ring any bell. The, the environmental crisis seems, seems very far, and uh, th- there are also other other crises that are taking place. Of course, the energy crisis, uh, the inflation is high, everyone is poorer. It's, it's difficult, but to but nobody uh, consumed so few energy as last winter when the prices were very 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 high. And I think that a signal of that kind, at least knowing what we are paying for, would be really make a difference uh, in that respect. So I hope, uh, probably for this mandate is gone, but I hope that for the next mandate it could be possible to remember. I've just re- just refreshed people's memory. I know that we need to conclude the conversation in the next couple of minutes or so, but the Energy Tax di- Directive, what's the purpose of it? Currently, we are having minimal taxation of uh, energy products, but these rules are super old. So on one hand, it's uh, they, the, the minima are so low that uh, they are not meaningful anymore. And on the other hand, um, the these uh, energy sources are taxed purely on quantity. There is absolutely no possibility to give an advantageous treatment to biofuels or to sustainable um, uh, sources of energy. And uh, I give you just a little example. Um, aviation is emitting uh, very much. Uh, aviation and maritime can be exempted still, but not only. It would be possible to have a sustainable fuel for aviation, but nobody is producing it because there is no advantage in using it. So it's exactly the same to produce and buy uh, a very polluting uh, um, fuel rather than a clean one because there's no difference. And this difference counts from taxation. We would also would have liked to have to attach it to inflation, and we would have uh, uh, put a reference, direct reference, uh, not only to quantity but to to the gigajoule that every energy source can produce. So um, the the import you would tax the gigajoule basically, and not the liter of uh, uh, of fuel or diesel or uh, uh, or the kilo of coal. Um, this uh, makes a lot of sense. It has been uh, uh, called for for a long time, but uh, again, uh, taxation is uh, in the European level is a work for masochists. Uh, um, it uh, putting together twenty seven member states with completely different energy mixes and completely different levels of taxation and willingness to proceed in different uh, sectors, in the middle of an energy crisis that was really not uh, very well-timed for us, it's close to impossible. But we are not withdrawing it. We keep it on the table. And I'm very happy that you gave me the opportunity to mention. No, but you have to. I mean, I think a lot of our listeners won't be aware of it again. I think it's because there's been so much going on that something kind of quite seminal, like what you've just described, when you compare it to what's happening at COP in in a few months' time, you'd think that EU should be going forward with a proposal that we need an energy directive approach to what we're doing because what it does is it addresses 
the, the supply side and not the demand side. It changes behavior at the supply side, which is what we need. So this is crazy. I hope our listeners think this is crazy too. So we will mount a campaign, Elena. Last few, last few words from you about um, where, you know, it's been great chatting to you. And I hope that we can get, you know, this is, I'm glad we talked about the energy director because it's that kind of policy tool that'll help us move forward. One of the things that we're recommending in our renewed social contract, which will be launching in um, the 9th of November, one of our uh, policy choices will be around how do you take a more vigorous approach to carbon reduction? And the other is about taxing for a good society. From your perspective, you're an economist, you've worked in the field, okay? When I put that, when we put that together as, you know, tax for a good society, are we going to be viewed as economic tree huggers? No, 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 I don't think so. And I think it is extremely pertinent to have this kind of debate. Um, and when I say that in, on in important themes like environment, we are still, there is still not the uh, sufficient perception in the public, in the leaders of the world. It's because they they tend to see the ones who are defending this aspect as tree hunters, which is not the case. Because we need to be able to use everything at our disposal to fight not only for a better planet, but to fight also for a better society. Because in fact, that's where we are living in. So I am I am very happy that you are having this discussion. I think it complements very well with what happened at the tax symposium. And I'm happy that you're using this uh, uh, definition because it goes beyond pure environmental concerns. It it meets all kinds of concerns that in the end make the world we are living in. And taxation is such a powerful tool because it hits where it hurts that uh, cannot be um, ignored anymore. So I am particularly happy that you had this very timely idea. And it's lovely. I love it. The fact that, you know, it hits where it hurts. But we, what we want to do is for it to have a, a hit for a better society. And I think for us in the Renew Social Contract, we're saying that the fundamental centerpiece of any relationship in society in terms of what we expect of each other, tax is one of those vectors. And I think the more we begin to um, focus on it and think about it in this holistic way, so it moves away from, let's say, 1950s, 1940s ideology to a 2050s uh, thinking, uh, the better we are. So it's good to know that you believe that our reference to tax for good society is on the right framework. It's been an absolute joy talking to you. Um, we hope to bring you back and um, I hope that you're not being placed in masochistic you know, situations in the future um, and know that you have backing. You know that people outside who really, uh, really agree with this. And let's hope that that conversation we had a year ago about behavioral taxation now takes off, that it becomes a thing. And, you know, us as a think tank, we know, as you know, we will be punting that particular brand as much as we can. And so thank you also for taking that up uh, in the various fora that you are. It's been a great pleasure speaking to you. Thank you. Likewise, uh, I, it's always a pleasure to be here and I will be happy to work again with you in the future. Thank you so much. <laughs>